This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 12, Episode 34. This is Writing Excuses, fulfilling the reader's fantasies. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Piper. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. And we have special guest star Brian McClellan. Hi. Hi. (laughs) Hello. Brian McClellan, my former student, is on the podcast because he complained incessantly to Wesley Chu (laughs) that we had never had him on the podcast before. And Wes is a giant loudmouth, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I have not yet met Wes in person. Is this good or bad? Wes is delightful. He's one of my favorite people in the job. Just don't complain about not being on the podcast. Yeah, apparently anything you say to Wes will (laughs) totally be repeated to the people it shouldn't be repeated to. (laughs) Well, you know, it is. I've only known you for 10 years, um, and you only live down the street from me, and Yet I've never had you on my podcast. In, in my defense, I suggested bringing you on before Brandon mentioned that Wes had been whining on your behalf. Yeah, yeah, that's, so. that's okay. the really sad thing is Wes whined, and I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe Brian. But then I forgot. Until <laughs> <laughs> Dan said, that's, hey, Brian. I think, I think that's our poll quote. Oh, yeah, maybe Brian, but then I forgot. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, Brian's hey, books are fulfilling, excellent. Fulfilling readers' mm-hmm. fantasies. Yes. Uh, Brian and Piper pitched this to us. Well, they pitched each pitched a different episode, and I combined them into one. We did. Um, Piper has written a lot of romance, um, and Brian has written a lot of flintlock fantasy. And so the question becomes, um, what do these two share? What do they have in common? Well, fulfilling fantasies. So let's talk about this. I want to kind of first dig into a writing excuses common topic. We want to hear from you guys. We've talked about it a lot. How do you guys set up promises in a story, and how do you then fulfill them? Well, I kind of have a, an easy out in the fact that romance is a promise by the definition of the genre. If you go to rwa.org, the definition of a romance is that it will have a happily ever after. So I am promising my readers that they will at least have a happily ever after or possibly a happily for now. But that's more contemporary, and there's some mm-hmm. hardcore romance re- readers who – who really don't feel that that's a romance. It has to be a happily ever after. That doesn't mean it ends in marriage, but it does mean that it ends in a committed I love you. So how, though, do you make sure you're fulfilling on that? Because you can just have the ending of the story be, oh, and then they get together. I mean, you you can just wave your hand and make that happen, and it won't be fulfilling if you haven't set things up along the way. So merely being part of the definition isn't enough. How do you make it work? So what I do to make it work is I personally write male-female romances, which means I have a hero and I have a heroine. Um, I've never done the the male-male-female or male-female-male or female-female yet. Um, however, what I try to do is I set up complementary yet contrasting personalities, and I immediately, in the first chapter, give the possibility and that sizzle of attraction. So you know there's the possibility of a relationship. And the point now is to go through the entire story and find out the shenanigans and the pitfalls and the challenges and those moments that make you absolutely sure that they belong together. Find out what the journey is going to be for them to come together. But that first start has to be a sizzling connection somehow. Maybe not, you know, maybe not instant love. Because once we joke around, sometimes in the romance mm-hmm. world, that's insta-love where you just immediately see each other and that's it. You have to have each other. Um, but you 
you could have hate that's going to turn into love. But whatever it is, there's a sizzling attraction that makes them like Vanderwall's forces. They constantly come closer together and then drive each other apart and then come back together again. You want the start of that chemistry. That's awesome. This is a perspective we haven't ever gotten on the podcast. And it is super helpful for me for viewing the genre. Um, we're gonna, yeah, I'm going to so turn to Brian. Brian, now. live up to that. Oh, great. Right, right. oh, <laughs> no, no, no. But I, 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 I got to wait to you on this because, and it's complimentary because um, that promise you make with Promise of Blood, um, <laughs> no pun intended, the cover is fantastic. Mm-hmm. The air, just the et- sense of epic feel that the cover gives um, of that first book uh, is, is striking and stunning. Um, you are offering something somewhat new in fantasy. Uh, Flintlock fantasy has been around. I mean, Blue Sword is Flintlock fantasy, so it's been around. But as a subgenre coming coming to its own, this has been a recent occurrence, and you're kind of been fighting against tradition in the genre. How, how are you doing this? How are you making this work? How are you giving people what they want from fantasy while giving them something different? Um, my, uh, you know, like, like romance, epic fantasy has kind of this, uh, implicit promise in it. It's going to be epic and it's going to be fantasy. So magic and big things happening. Um, and I try to set that stage in a way that you would in any epic fantasy right at the beginning. And, you know, you introduce, hopefully I try to do it on the first page, but first chapter, definitely introduce the fact that there is magic in the world and that doesn't have to be overt. It can be simply dropping in a character's inner monologue something about sorcerers or magic or something like that. Um, you can do a setup like that super easily. And there you've you've set up this promise. You've said, okay, we have got the magic. Um, and then, you know, political machinations, all that stuff are things that you build up to. But they're pretty easy to drop in as well. Um, just the small bits of planning and... And, you know, this is what's going on in the country right now that that worries me as a citizen. You know, all that can be in your characters in her monologue. Really easy stuff. And I, I think what I try to do with Flintlock Fantasy is to treat it exactly like I would epic fantasy. Normal medieval epic fantasy. And, and just not acknowledge that it's different. Uh, and it's actually worked really well. <laughs> uh, just to, you know, it's got... All of the same stuff. It's got epic charges. It's got okay, let know, me magical ask duels. Right there. Um, I've pu- pushed her to talk about the specifics. How do you make it feel epic? Um, with epic, I, uh, epic to me always implied uh, more than one country, uh, larger plot lines, uh, bigger stakes, not necessarily world-ending stakes, but bigger stakes, things that are are going to affect uh, an entire nation or several nations, um, and and setting that up uh, is just it's just a matter of having having characters be worried about things. Oftentimes, uh, because if somebody is worried, I had a character in my first book in the very prologue or not, uh, in the first chapter. He is he's a family man, and he's worried about his family being involved in any possible violence that happens in the city. And that sets up the fact that, oh, if there's violence in the city, there's probably going to be something bigger happening that's causing that violence. Uh, and it's, you know, it's a chain reaction oftentimes in the reader's head, I think, uh, where they, they make, you know, quick le- lo- leaps of logic that you don't necessarily put in there overtly, 
but that are implicit in what's happening. That's a really good answer, too. Well done. I, I thought I was pitching a really uh, difficult one to you because <laughs> pe- defining a genre is always so difficult. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week, which Piper's going to tell us about. The Ministry of Peculi- Peculiar Occurrences. Yes, The Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences is a six-book series by T. Morris and Pip Valentine. Uh, It's actually really, really great steampunk adventure. So if you're kind of the person that likes, you know, the X-Files and Warehouse 13 um, set in a Victorian steampunky setting, then this is definitely a great series for you. Operation Endgame wraps up the series for Books and Brawn, our favorite characters. Um, I think it comes out in the June-ish time period this year. Uh, So it should be, the full series should be out there and available to you. In your favorite audio, print, so or Operation, digital. That's, that's Operation Endgame, which is book six. Operation Endgame, of book Ministry six. Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences by T. Morris and Pip Valentine. Yes. All right. So coming back to this, I've got a, a, a slightly different take on this to pitch at you. In some literary circles, the word escapism is like a pariah. You mentioned that and it is the ultimate put down. I have always disagreed with this. I think there is value in what we call escapism and being able to leave your world behind and go somewhere else and experience the lives of other people. Uh, I, I think it has inherent value. Romance is often accused of being the ultimate escapism genre with fantasy like one step behind in that. Um, I would ask you, number one, any responses to this accusation? Ooh, escapism. And then taking that a little further, I would see that in bo- all of ours, there's some wish fulfillment Um, you want to provide a story where the reader can see themselves in the protagonist and be able to live these lives and be part of this. So how do you make that escapism more powerful for the reader? I think escapism has been turned into a bad word that isn't. It isn't a bad word. It's, It's fantastic to be able to escape at the appropriate time or when you want to and escape into a world or a lifetime that you would like. And when it comes to romance, I think also what you find is the possibilities that are available to you. Any romance line that you like, all of those subgenres, whether it's contemporary romance, romantic suspense, historical romance, fantasy romance, sci-fi romance, all of the romances that are out there. Um, And yes, it has some strong tropes to it as well. But what you know is that you can go into the story and you can reassure yourself that yes, there are possibilities out there, like things could happen. And you may think that it's verily, these stories are fairly unrealistic, but these romances do happen. And you actually get a, a feeling of positivity when you finish reading that story or when you finish having escaped into that book. And it actually allows you to face the world in a more positive way. I agree 100%. You know, when I have um, every signing I do, I have a reader or two who come up to me and say, I was having just a most horrible time to the point that I didn't know if I could continue. And your books are what got me through it, right? That happens to all of us. And you just sit back and say, wow, 
that is that is the power of what we can do, and it shouldn't be a bad word. I think the problem with the word escapism is that it does not imply a destination. It's not that I want to get away from this world. It's that I want to go to a specific one that I happen to like. When I go out to eat, it's not because I want to abandon my kitchen. It's because there's this Tex-Mex place that I'm really hankering for right now. Um, And the word escapism, that's what most people who are participating in escapism are looking for, but the word doesn't say that. The word suggests, oh, you're just abandoning this life to go lose yourself in a book. Well, but you picked the book. Mm -hmm. You, I mean, Brian and Piper, you guys give us destinations, and it's not that oh, we just want to leave the house and get out of the kitchen. It's that we want to go eat with Piper. We want to go eat with Brian. It allows you to experiment. It Uh really does. It allows you to say, hey, I want to try experiencing this thing. And romance in particular, I've often um, jokingly said to uh, my audiences when I'm on panel that you can, if you have a friend or, you know, a significant other who reads romance and in paperback, you can open the page to their favorite scene easily just by dropping the book. It'll open to their favorite scene. And I will guarantee you that if it's a romance novel, that is a step-by-step instruction manual to the hanky-panky they've always dreamed of having. (laughs) So it allows them to explore a possibility. Like, I would really love to try this, or I would really love to go on a, I don't know, go meet cowboys and go horseback riding and get that fresh air and that scenery and see the potential of romance there, or I would like to try a cruise someday. Mm-hmm. Well, and I was about to say the same type of thing for epic fantasy, uh, because you're looking at it from, you know, the average person, you know, goes to work or school or whatever and comes home and that's what they do every day. And so, you know, you get to go and experience taking over a country and slinging fireballs at people without any actual danger. Uh, and and the same thing happens when you go and watch TV, when you watch uh, House of Cards, or when you watch the billions of uh, police procedurals. Uh, it's all about going and doing something that's totally out of your personal world experience without actually having to do it. You can escape to it for yeah. an hour or two, and that's great. Well, and that's something that we talk about a lot in horror is, you know— Horror as escapism doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people, but it's this idea of being able to experience something and overcome it within, you know, without keeping your hands outside of the roller coaster car. You're you're not in any actual danger. We have such a mundane existence for the most part. You know, we go to work and then we come home and we make dinner and then we go to bed. But, you know, we need to be ready to experience some of these emotions because we inevitably will. Because life is not as mundane as we think it is. And this, you know, books give us that ability. Books give us hope. I mean, I had a reader who contacted me last year um, towards the end of my True Hero series when Absolute Trust was about to come out. And she told me, sent a picture with it, but told me that my books had helped her get through some really heavy-duty, hard adult bullying she was going through in in her dog training school. And um, as a result of that, she came through her dog training school with her dog partner very, very well and got a second German Shepherd dog and named her Piper. So there's a dog named after me. And it's awesome. <laughs> you know, the, uh, the presentation of the promise, the, the point at which in your story 
uh, you, you let people know what the destination is that they're escaping to. Um, one of my favorite examples of this comes from the quest completion text for your first gun in Borderlands 2. And the text is, you just moved five feet and opened a locker. Later, when you're killing skyscraper-sized monsters with a gun that shoots lightning, you'll look back on this moment and be like, huh. And when I read that, I got chills because I was like, oh, I have this little tiny plinky gun, but you've just told me that this world has skyscraper-sized monsters and guns that shoot lightning, and I am somehow going to get to that point. So this has been a really great discussion. <laughs> um, I kind of want to cap it off sharing a story from my life, and I know I've shared parts of this in the podcast before, so I apologize if you've heard it. But I think there is an intrinsic value to making people enjoy something while they also discover something interesting or useful. Um, I often share the story of my wife making smoothies with spinach in them because my children love the color green. And so as far as they're concerned, we're putting spinach in just to make the smoothies green, which they think is awesome. But then they get the spinach. Uh, As a kid, many people tried to get me into reading. They gave me book after book after book, and they were dull. They were boring. It was like Brian said. I lived a life every day, and I actually liked my life. I didn't, wasn't one of these teenagers having a really rough time, but I wanted to go someplace new. I wanted, I wanted to explore, and it wasn't until a teacher gave me Dragonsbane, fantasy book, for the first time, and I read it, that I experienced this, and I discovered this is what I've been missing. I didn't want books that just sat and preached to me. I wanted to go someplace But at the same time, uh, if you haven't read Dragon's Bane, it's about a woman, she's a middle-aged woman, which is, you shouldn't, you know, according to the rules, give this to a 14-year-old boy. But they did. And this was about a woman who's trying to choose between her magic and her family. She, if she would explore with the magic more, she could become this great wizard. But she also has a family and is balancing her time with them. And I was reading this book and just loving this book about going and slaying a dragon. And I'm like, oh, you really should study your magic more. You, this is really cool. At the same time, my mother graduated first in her class in accounting in a year where she was the only woman in most of her accounting classes. And she had gotten offered a prestigious scholarship and had turned it down to have me. And as a teenage boy, I'd always heard the story and thought, well, of course she did, right? I am <laughs> awesome. That is what people do. That's what parents do. I'm reading this story. I get done with the story about going and slaying a dragon and magic and wonder, and I understood my mother more. That, like, if it hadn't been enjoyable, I would never have gotten that. You give me a story about an accountant trying to choose between family and accounting, and as a 14-year-old boy, I would have been asleep on the floor, you know, using the book as a pillow. But you give me a fantasy adventure story that I love, and you put some of these themes in, and you change me into a reader and make a writer out of me with one book. That is the power of what we do. So don't ever let anyone tell you just escapism when they point at a book. You were going to give us a writing prompt, Brian. Okay, my writing prompt. Um, Oh, right. So uh, write your next story uh, in a time period, doesn't matter what genre, you can change it up if you want, in a time period that you haven't written before. Um, and and you can make up the facts if you want. And I know uh, Mary would probably murder me if she was here. <laughs> oh, uh, just to be but, but just do something different uh, in a different time period. That is a very good prompt. And we want to 
say thank you for coming out. You guys should really should all go read Promise of Blood. It is a fantastic book. Brian gets better with every book, which makes us angry because he is getting so good at this writing thing. You we should have killed love. him before it was too yeah. late. Uh, his new book, <laughs> Sins of Empire, we promoted earlier in the year, but uh, it is a new starting point, and you can go pick that one up. Uh, thank you very much, Brian, for being on the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you, listeners, for listening, but you are now out of excuses. So go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 